Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Success in Accounting. Sponsored by Dext. Hello, it's Rob Brown here with another episode of Success in Accounting, and we are continuing with our series of panels with prominent and influential women leaders in the accounting and fintech world. We have a very distinguished panel with us today coming from different parts of the world. I'm going to get them to introduce themselves in just a moment. This is about leadership. This is about culture. This is about diversity. This is about a changing world. This is about making sense of what is going on in the accounting and fintech world at the moment. And there is such a lot of change happening. Uh, I interview people all the time and we get very different perspectives. Who knows what will come out in this panel? Uh, I'm going to ask all of the panelists to say hello. And uh, Lindsay, we'll start with you, if we may. So welcome. Well, thank you for having all of us. I'm super excited to be here. My name is Lindsay Stevenson, and I am the Chief Transformation Officer at BPM LLP, which is a large accounting firm that is based in San Francisco, California. But I get to work remotely and it's uh, I'm in South Dakota and it's snowing. So I'm excited to be here because it feels warmer just being with all of you. So thank you so much for having me. Chief Transformation Officer sounds very grand. We might go into job titles a little bit later and whilst into those. Gemma, welcome to you. A quick introduction, please. So I'm Gemma Edwards. Nice to meet you all. Um, partner here at Cooper Parry and also Head of Audit Operations. Uh, Cooper Parry is a UK firm, one of the fastest growing firms in the UK. We're very culturally driven. Uh, I'd like to think we're quite a rebellious firm. If Google did accounting firms, would it be your firm, Gemma, possibly? If hundred percent, absolutely. <laughs> we are Google-esque. We like to think we, we disrupt the market. Sharon, welcome. Lovely to have you with us. Um, I'm Sharon Gunn. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales. Very long title. Great to have you with us. And uh, Megan, all the way from Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, I'm a director here at the firm. I uh, oversee HR as well as some of the operations for uh, the CPAs and actuarial practices. Let's dive right into it. And Sharon, I'll start with you on this one. When you talk to accountants, accounting firms, you talk to them all the time in your role in, in a professional body. What do you get a sense of as the main priorities for them? And does diversity fit into that? Diversity absolutely fits into that. So, um, you know, the key priority is attracting talent. And that talent needs to be diverse to reflect the society that it serves. Um, and accountancy, you know, in the past has traditionally been a very white collar industry. But that really is changing. And some of our firms are leading the way in that. They, they quite often um, sort of hit the list of people who are doing really well in this area. So diversity inclusion is very much on everybody's agenda, including the Institute's agenda as well. And Lindsay, we hear about sometimes the stale male and pale accounting profession and these old baby boomers and these crusty old men. Uh, we've got a pretty young panel on here today. What are the key priorities for your firm and does diversity fit into that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think to echo what Sharon just said, retention and attraction of talent is, is always top of mind. I think it has been for 15 years in the profession, but even more so as the pipeline shrinks, everyone is vying for the same talent. And so trying to figure out what matters to that talent and DEI matters to that talent. So they've come up through school. I'm sure the rest of you may have kids. I have one that's 21. His peer group doesn't doesn't understand that there would be no sense of belonging or inclusion for any individual. They have been brought up in a world that treats them as important as an individual. So they expect the organizations they work for 
to treat them as important as the individual, regardless of gender, age, any of the things that you know the the profession has struggled with historically. Um, and, and I think for our firm, DEI is super, super important. So it's actually part of our strategic plan. And we set goals around DEI that are very specific every year. Um, and so, so this year, it's increasing our participation in our DEI programs. And, and so there's a huge effort internally to make sure our people are connected to people that they have an affinity with and also cross affinities, right? To really see that intersectionality of how they show up in the workforce. And DEI for listeners, watchers that don't know, let's clarify that diversity, equity, inclusion. There's two more to add on to that that are becoming popular. The J is for justice and the A is for accessibility. So we may find that acronym getting ever more expanded. And Jeremy, you've got a very technical role in audit. And if I were to ask you your priorities, they might be a little more technically focused, but I guess people are up there as well for you, aren't they? Well, no, actually, I'm, I'm actually talking about diversity and inclusion. I'm not an auditor. You're just head of audit operations, that's all. I'm just head of audit operations. That's how diverse we are. Um, I, I suppose it's, you know, diversity inclusion is extremely important to us as a business, not just from a tick in a box. You know, we have somebody whose de designated job is the, a DNI coordinator and, you know, similar to the rest of the panel, we're in a place now where we've got five generations and we've got to accommodate for all of five generations and then future generations coming through. Um, I think, you know, diversity inclusion is a wide range of completely different things and it's different to every person. I think we have to be empathetic to that and sympathetic and understand everybody's points of view. Um, you have to, as a business, you know, with technology and how you embrace that and making changes around that. We have changes in auditing standards. We need to make sure that we're equipping people with that information that they need. Uh, but ultimately, for any you know strategic, big fancy strategic plan you put in place, engagement has to be key to drive that forward. You have to take people on a journey with you. Um, and I uh, think here at Kibbe Power, by investing in the engagement and in people, they will drive forward any strategy you have. Um, and as I said, DNI is extremely important to us as a business. And then Megan, Gemma just talked there about taking people on a journey. We are in turbulent waters and uh, change is happening so fast. What are some of the priorities where you are? Talent development and, and retention is, is very important. Recruiting is very important, but taking the people that we have and getting them where they can go, uh, uh, where they need to go. And being creative and nimble about that. You, we go through the Great Recession or we go through COVID and everything changes and the way we used to do things don't work anymore. And very quickly that has happened. So how can we stay nimble and how we develop our talent and how we move together as a firm? It's a big part of our priorities. Talk about nimble. Lindsay, agility, that's not something accountants are predominantly known for, is it? No, um, you know, but here's the thing. The thing that's crazy, and I think to Megan's point, is that as a profession, I think COVID was probably one of the best things, not the actual illness, but the situation it created was one of the best things for the accounting profession, because you have a lot of people who were really focused on the traditional business model, you know, the, the butts in the seats, FaceTime kind of way to look at doing work, who had to shift to our people cannot be with us physically. And so now they're really being creative. Like Megan said, how do we connect with people when we're in a virtual environment? How do we make sure that our culture survives the digital age? And that's been like a really big conversation um, within the firm. And so I, I think, you know, for us, that agility piece is, is there is way more willingness now to fail having tried something new than there was five years ago, where it was like, we aren't going to try it until someone else in the marketplace demonstrates that it works. 
Um, and so that's where BPM has been shifting of like this, this idea of like, we're going to go into pilot phase. We're going to try and we're going to fail. And we're going to try and we're going to fail. And then when something works, we're going to scale. And, and, and that's a totally different approach than I think firms really were interested in taking previously. And, and Sharon, just to finish this point, have you been impressed by how some of your members have been able to cope with the pandemic and, and change perhaps a little bit more nimbly than we thought they might? Yeah, I think it's been astonishing actually to watch how quickly people changed, how they cope with online. And um, as somebody said before me, it used to be very much face-to-face. -face. And, you know, people adapted really quickly. The technology, the broadband in most places was there. And I think a big challenge we're all facing at the moment is people like working from home or they like hybrid working. And there are, there are some people maybe slightly more older than me that really like to be back face to face but the world has changed forever and there are efficiencies in the hybrid model um, and I think we're all facing other challenges now so uh, you know political disruption very high inflation across the world scarce resources energy resources particularly and we're all having to adapt again to a different set of challenges um, you know, how do we, you know, some people are really struggling paying their bills, businesses are potentially going to go under because they can't afford the costs. And we all have to adapt one either to support those businesses or to support your clients, or to support employees as well. Um, so it is a it is a constant adaptation. Um, but I think on the whole, um, like someone said before, you can't say we had a great COVID, because uh, COVID was horrendous. But it's incredible to think how we moved online really quickly, um, how we even moved all our face-to-face -face meetings to Zoom or Teams or whatever that might be, and we're doing it effectively. Let's talk about your journeys, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I'll start with you on this one. You're all senior people, you're influential leaders, you're running teams, you're running departments, you're running firms, you're responsible for setting culture. So you've got to then develop your own leadership style. So Gemma, just outline your career a little bit and how your style has developed. I suppose I've always had a passion for people. I'm an accountant by trade, but not an auditor. Um, I suppose from I have had many roles, kind of more from a management accounting background previously in large PLCs. But what I found was that I wasn't necessarily, it, it didn't excite me pulling the numbers together. What excited me was going through those numbers and finding patterns and and then quite quickly, I got into um, kind of more of like management, kind of medium management levels, I would say. Um, and then I could kind of start to see that the how business and people, but if you put people first, that drives the business for you. Um, so started doing more leadership roles, really passionate about kind of leading with people and um, really getting them to understand everyone and committing time to people, I think is really important. I can't say one person has kind of shaped who I am. I like to think I've shaped myself and I've probably shaped myself through making mistakes um, and I've made plenty. But I think that's really important as you develop as a leader is to understand what has worked and what hasn't worked more importantly. And then how do you then adapt that going forward? They say, Megan, don't they, that we are the composite of all the good leaders we've been subjected to in the past and and as Gemma said a little bit of ourselves as well what's your journey been like and how do you lead yeah similarly uh, I came out of a, a more technical role an accounting role and into leadership and I I credit uh two managing partners I worked with very closely for 
seeing and helping me see that it's okay to take an opportunity that wasn't a straight line from where you were at and in how you can do that, seeing those skill sets in me and helping me develop those. I credit them a lot with that. I also have a uh, external influencer who she doesn't know it, but she's my mentor, uh, Brene Brown, and her concept of vulnerability is something that I carry very strongly with me day to day and how I lead. Uh, it's like you mentioned about mistakes. It's how we can be vulnerable to the people we work with, uh, the way other people have been with me to help us all be human in our cultures. That's what I really hold on to. And without staring the waters too much, have you found that men are better dealing with mistakes or it's less of a big deal for men there's less at stake for men there's um they back themselves a little bit more and women perhaps second guess themselves i'm just bringing that up because i've heard that from other panelists and, and things that i've done anyway yeah i think there is uh some truth to uh, i've read a, a statistic and it I, it feels true to me that uh men are more likely to apply for a job with way less of the qualification boxes checked than women are likely to do so that second guessing factor i have been very fortunate in my life that the uh, managing partners i've worked with that have really encouraged me have both been male and i i consider myself fortunate for that because i do think that's not everybody's experience and Lindsay, what about you are you an arm around the shoulder conciliatory type leader or cracking that whip and uh, get them all moving type you know i I don't think I'm the cracking the whip type. I don't, you'd have to maybe ask some of the people that I've worked with. Maybe I am more than I think I am. But, um, you know, similar to, to Megan, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. I'm a Simon Sinek fan girl for sure. Um, and I, I just think that the leading self, you know, I went to um, AICPA has a leadership academy that they do for individuals under 34. There's like a whole application process. And I did that. Um, and it was like life-changing career-wise, but really life-changing because it was the whole four days of really just peeling back the layers of self and talking about like how you show up and what it looks like to other people when you show up in a certain way. And is that how you want to show up? And, and that whole process, I feel like I had been spending a lot of my early career trying to be like the leaders that inspired me. And it's not really who I was, right? They were amazing because they were them, um, but I was trying to emulate so much of what they were doing that I didn't show up authentically, which actually made me not that great of a leader. Um, so I feel like that was like a really important process to go through. And then the other thing I'll say, I read, I don't even know, it was probably an HBR BR article years ago. I have no idea where it came from, but probably it was- a business review, yeah. Yes, yes. So I, and I don't know even who said it, um, but but somebody they interviewed who who's kind of like this, this great, like known leader, said the, the mark of a great leader is when you can say that you helped create even better leaders. And that for me has like just really stuck with me. And I feel like I really, it's like the most important thing. I don't actually care what I get done. I mean, there is some semblance of accomplishment, right? My perma buckets, if you're, if you're a positive psychology fan, you know, I have, I have the achievement bucket and I definitely want to fill it. But at the end of the day, I get so much charge out of seeing someone else do something that was on their goal sheet or their bucket list. And that like, I had a part in helping them up the next rung or providing them the resources to get there. Um, so I, I just feel like that that's the most fun part of, of the leadership stack. Um, but I will, I will tell you that I suck um, at anything related to like termination or um, really tough conversations about performance. Like I have a really hard time just facing it head on. I beat around the bush a lot. So, so that's something I'm still developing. Sharon, the Institute Chartered Accountants in England and Wales, we've had Julia Penny on these panels, your, your president, you champion the cause for women leaders. What's your own journey been like and what's your style? I would, I would say I've had lots of ups and downs in my career. 
Um, I, I've worked in a few different places. I used to work for a large PLC and used to run quite big teams. And when I came to work for the Institute around sort of 20 odd years ago, um, I started off in a department of myself almost. And then I've, I've grown, I've done lots of different roles and ended up with large teams again, you know, culminating. I probably have around 600 staff indirectly reporting to me now. Um, and I think you have to adapt sometimes to the different kinds of teams you're managing as a leader. So, for instance, I have sales teams that I have to motivate. And in lots of ways, I think you have to be pretty tough with them. They're much more, uh, you know, you have to have some really strong carrots in there in terms of remuneration and incentivizing them to go the extra mile. And on the other end of the extreme, I have a team of qualified librarians doing research and things for members. And, you know, you couldn't get two more extremes. And I think sometimes you have to be very different to different people and you have to adapt to them. Um, but I think there are some consistencies in there. I think you have to be fair to everyone and you have to be consistent in the way you treat people. Um, but again, that's quite different. That manifests, manifests itself differently in different teams. Um, so I, I, think it, I think you have to adapt to the role you're doing and it can be, you might have to wear different hats depending on what you're doing. Um, so I, I'm not sure it's you know, really straightforward, um, but it's about adaptation and understanding what you're dealing with and working out what motivates people. And that's that's different for different people. Sure, there's no doubt about that. And we're gonna talk about culture now. Just a, a little bit of context here. 53% of accountants are women and that's rising as a proportion, but only 10% of leaders are women in the accounting and, and FinTech world. And so we can play around with those stats. There's something in that. And we wouldn't even want it to be 50-50 perhaps, because not everyone wants to go down the path of being a partner and a managing partner and head of the department. That takes a huge amount of time and commitment. And there are so many other things going on and the great resignation, the great recalibration. But let's, with those facts in mind, let's talk about culture. We're trying to drive culture, all of us as leaders, in a remote world, in a hybrid world. And it's really hard to convey your values when you're remote and when you've got teams in disparate offices, different parts. They're all working to their own agenda in a way. They're all, they've all got different values and are motivated in different ways. We've established that. Megan, let's hit you with this. How do you drive culture with inclusion? Your the biggest piece for us is finding the win-win for each individual. And that means for somebody, hey, it's going to be compensation, right? And they want to put in what it takes to drive the compensation number higher. And for somebody else, it's going to be not coming into the office every day. And the trade-offs that that equals, that's a win-win for them. And for somebody else, it's going to be working reduced hours. I, I did. I worked reduced hours when my kids were babies. Um, and that was a win-win for me. And when I was ready to give more, I could give more. And I don't think that can ever not be individual. And I think when we find the right sweet spot of that for everybody, um, that's when you know the the gears are all moving in the same direction. Gemma Cooper Power is famous for its culture. Uh, I've been there. It's not far from me. I'm in Nottingham. So uh, it's it's a wonderfully invigorating environment you've got there. But when you send people here and there and working from home, how do you maintain the culture that you're setting there? Yeah, I think it. I think it's a challenge. Um, I have to I think you have to face into that. It, you know, 
especially within the audit team, obviously coaching is extremely important for people coming through, you know, trainees coming through and trying to get that mix of what's best for people, but also what's best for the business. You know, it, it's it's a can be a fine balance sometimes and quite a difficult one and something currently we're trying to get right now. I don't think we always get it right. Um, you're making sure that you've got the resources available to people so that they can choose what's best for them but also I think for us it's really important one of our questions is well it might if it's best for you that's great but the next question you need to ask yourself is it best for the, your team because ultimately teamwork is 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 paramount that's what our culture is about so making sure that whilst it might be what's best for you in that specific day or week actually is what do the team need and it's about giving it's about give and take um, it's like any relationship so applying that to work would be no different and trust I've had a lot is important here because the term productivity paranoia has emerged recently and managers, bosses, leaders are having to trust their people to get stuff done remotely. And to what degree do you track that and billable hours and chargeable time and everything else? And to what degree do you leave them to do their own thing and trust them to do it? And this is paranoia that are they being as productive as they would be if they were in the office and I was next door to them right now. So Lindsay, do you get a sense of that or is culture really easy where you are? I don't think culture is ever easy, whether we're in person or not, right? It's work. And that's what makes a good culture is when everyone is constantly working on the culture. So BPM, it, it, it originally stood for the names of our founding partners, but it's because people, because people matter is what we say internally. So it, it's just, a, that is the language that everyone uses. Um, and it's almost become like a chant, right? Like you'll, you'll be talking to someone and they'll say, I don't feel like that, that treatment was because people matter. And then you kind of like, everybody takes a breath and goes, gosh, like maybe that wasn't because people matter. How do we show up that way? Um, we need to rethink that. And so I think in the virtual world, there's, there's, there's the infrastructure operational side of culture, right? Like uh, in terms of how do we make sure that employees are still engaged? How do we make sure that our colleagues have connection points? How do we make sure that they have the resources and the training and development and all that stuff? That's the operational side, but the engagement side, right? Like that is the, the piece where there's a huge shift in the marketplace, not just in, in accounting, I think in every profession, but where the individualized employee engagement is now the mainstream, right? Like where before it was standardized everything because that's how we create, we create equitability. It's the easiest way to make sure that all of our people have the same access to the same resources. But what happens then is that we don't recognize the importance of the individual. And so how do you balance those two things? And I think that's, you know, what we're having a lot of conversations around. And I think that's what the profession should really be talking about is how do we make sure that we provide equitable action um, or access, right? Which is that that DEI piece of our culture. How do we make sure everyone has the same access to whatever we're offering? But then how do we also make sure that we individualize it to Megan's point of what do they need in that moment right now today? And if it doesn't fit in with the written policy we have, we gotta be okay with that, right? The policy should be guidance and framework. It shouldn't be written law. And so we're just, that's that's hard. That's hard to navigate. And I think that's that's how you work through culture together, right? Is that you're all just open about it. We don't know the answer. We don't know how this works. We don't know if it's going to work. And I'm sure it's different in a firm. Sharon, you're running a professional institute there. You've got members all over the world. You've got staff all over. How do you draw those together in a unified culture where everyone's on the same page and values are congruent? I think it's pretty tricky, but I think the key is to listen to what people are saying, you know, to set up some employee engagement groups, to get people to feed into those and to listen to what's coming out of that. But we've certainly had to make a lot of changes post pandemic when we're hybrid working 
So we are trialing, inviting staff, let's all come in on the same day. Let's all have lunch together. Let's reconnect. Let's let's be human. Let's talk to each other because we're very aware that a lot of employees spend a lot of time on their own. And yes, we can measure productivity in lots of areas that we can see what's going on. But that doesn't make us a special place to work anymore. And people aren't connecting with their colleagues enough. So we've been trialing, um, doing different things to, to get people to interact. And strangely, the most uh, popular thing that we've done recently is we had a team of people bring some puppies into the office and staff could book and spend, I don't know, 10 minutes uh, with the puppies and oh my goodness this is probably the most uh, it was really unusual thing for us to do um, but it had the best feedback of anything we've probably ever done culturally and you know our staff plastered this all over social media and then we had people at interviews saying this is the kind of culture and place I'd like to work um, so I think you've got to be brave sometimes and try different things to to see what works um, you know we have hybrid online meetings with all staff and we have a lot more people turning up than we did when we did face-to-face -face meetings um, but we have to find a reason for people to connect together and to feel that they're valued and they're part of the culture so I think it's quite a lot of trial and error at the moment and seeing what works but listening is really important and getting feedback and just to clarify you said poppies there didn't you Sharon no puppies 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 not puppies right puppies. bring a pet to work day I think <laughs> yes well goodness me and uh, that's amazing what what's clearly coming out and I'll just put this to all of you to finish off this culture thing is that the one size fits all model has gone isn't it and we were probably fans of the phrase one size fits one and what motivates me doesn't motivate you and your weapons are not my weapons and your skills are not my skills and your needs are not mine and me working from home might be great for me but it might not be great for you because you've got pets at home and kids running around at home and and all kinds of distractions so we've got to care for people haven't we any any final thoughts on culture and, and that duty of care we have as leaders to make sure people are okay up here emotionally as much as getting their work done. I think as we we move to, you know, this hybrid, you know, Sharon was talking about how do you attract people and you have more people showing up when you offer a hybrid op option. I think the challenge is always missing out on those informal conversations that build trust and relationships that happen naturally when we're face-to-face -face because now when we're virtual you have to schedule time right it's it's not as natural to just reach out and hit like the the video call button and then half the time you know people are like cancel video like <laughs> you know i don't want you to see me right now but we can totally have a conversation um whereas you know in the office it was way more natural to walk by someone's office door and it was open and you saw them sitting in there and said oh hey hi how was your weekend um so i think that intentionality from a cultural perspective is is where we're going to have to do really good work if we want to be successful in the long run yeah we do have to adapt for sure there's no corridor conversations now like they used to be you may have come across the 70-20-10 approach to learning. It's the whole body of work out there, which says 70% of what professionals need to learn is done in informal situations where just those corridor conversations and those chats, knocking on a door, getting with a uh, a colleague and talking things through, 20% is done with a little bit more formal coaching and mentoring, uh, slightly more structured, and 10% of learning is done is informal classroom situations, CPD, CPE, technical, staying up to date, now, if you strip that 70% out of there of what happens organically around an office environment, and even some of the formal mentoring and coaching stuff 
you're left with just the formal stuff and it strips away a lot of those interactions which drive culture. It drives the environment of a firm. And Gemma, you're nodding there. Uh, getting around people helps. Yeah, and I'd also say what it does do, I think what, you know, the hybrid, I think it's great. We have a, our own policy of WFAF, so work from anywhere, anytime, which is great. It promotes that. I think there was people managers, and especially as leaders as a business, sometimes as well, you, we have, I say most definitely, we have to be open Sometimes no, no, when you don't hear off people, it's those cues that you've got to be lis- almost listening to. The, the, the no noise is what you've got to listen to, because that from a well-being perspective, when people are at home, you don't know how they're feeling. It's very difficult to then engage with people whilst they're well, online. And you can get some social cues, but it's asking the, and probing questions to make sure really like, are, are people okay? Because it became quite lonely then as well, being at home and quite isolating in many ways. That's a really good point because we're not asking how we are. And if you do ask people how they are, you often get a very trite answer. Oh, I'm busy or I'm okay. And it doesn't tell anything of the story behind because we're all contending with something. We've all got something going on. And the degree to which you can reveal that in a Zoom situation or a video call or a phone call, it's not the same as sharing a coffee or a water cooler moment. So definitely challenging times. I wondered if you could share all of you any mental resilience tips that we have. We talk about coping, we talk about mental health and well-being a lot. Uh, it's important to everyone. We're all adjusting to a new world. Anything that you would share with our audience here on coping and helping your people cope as leaders? Sharon, what have you got? Um, we've trained a group of staff to be mental health first aiders. So as soon as the pandemic hit, uh, we recognised that there were people who were struggling, who were on their own, uh, who may have lived on their own, who weren't seeing anyone. So we very quickly trained a team of staff up to be mental health first aiders. Um, you know, we, we publish on our internet who they are, so they're, they're a, a, a trained listening ear. Um, but we also have uh, a charity that we work with that we can refer members to. Uh, the Charter Accountants Benevolent Association that can help support people if they're really going through tough times. And actually that applies to members and students as well. So we're very aware of people if they're, well, hopefully we're aware of people if they're struggling, but what we've done is put things in to help support people. We did an interview recently with uh, a guy that was a big four accountant and he had a nervous breakdown and tried to take his own life. And when he tracked back that journey, he was really struggling. And he said, I had nobody I could turn to because if I showed any sign of weakness, my career was over. It's almost, particularly with men, you don't show weakness as a boy growing up in the playground because you're primed for bullying. I'm not sure what that would be like for girls, but then men get into that funk of not revealing stuff and not talking to each other and not confiding in friends and not showing any weaknesses. So he he ended up trying to take his own life and, and the vortex that that took him down. So we are in very dangerous mental resilience territory. Megan, have you got any tips on mental well-being and health? Yeah, and you know, the the story you tell, I think a lot of times women in leadership uh, have to be, or have to put on that same face, right? Because if you're amongst a group of peer males, you also don't want to show weakness or you almost like don't want to show weakness even more. And I think being brave and being the person who's okay, being a little bit vulnerable can go a long way. One of the things we say a lot here at Lauterbach and Amen is, do you have a friend at work? Or like on my team, does everybody have a friend at work? Not not somebody who reviews their work, not the person who, you know, they necessarily go out to the client site with, but are people connected that you have a buddy 
somebody who you connect with, because I think that connection piece is where you get that openness or the, the person you feel like you can vent to or be vulnerable to and, and connect to. So having a friend at work, uh, one, I think it's a retention tool, but two, I think it's a mental health tool. Do you have somebody? Gemma, leaders look on the outside like they've got it all together. They dress well, they look great, they look super organized, and they put on that show for the people around them to say, I am coping really well, but you must have a couple of tips for us on mental resilience. Yeah, I think kind of echoing what Megan um, has said, I think it's you have to be able to talk to people. And I think it's really important as leaders that you do show that vulnerability. Um, I think everyone that you've touched on, everyone kind of takes that assumption or their CEO or their partner and they're superhuman. You know, it, we've all got our own struggles. Um, I came across a quote which I thought was really was really apt. It was kind of, it says stories have the power to move us, the power to engage us and the power to change us. And that was really powerful because you know, I think it's what's really helped me is telling my story um, and also me listening to other people's story. It, we at Cooper Power, we have um, mental health first aiders, which again is really important. But we also we have some really brave people here who shared their stories publicly um, on a range of different things, mental health, um, suicide awareness, which is is really important because I think people need to people need to realise that it's okay not to be okay, um, and it's really important that people then share that and have the opportunity to. You know, we're not we're not robots none of us are and we we'll, we'll have bad days um so having that openness and kind of open door policy to be able to talk about how you're feeling is really important because work is just a very small part of everybody's life there's so much goes on outside of life outside of work that impacts on us that we automatically assume you walk through the doors and you're you know a different person and you put this mask on it's important to take that mask off and just be to show that vulnerability and Lindsay, we are seeing exhibited by women predominantly a more compassionate vulnerable style of leadership than men have perhaps demonstrated in the past and that idea that it's okay to talk and it's okay to admit that you're not okay that does help with mental health doesn't it yeah it does you know but there's there's like a, a devil in the details kind of kind of thing that happens so there's there's this concept of unpaid work for women and that they take on the emotional work in the office. So I don't know if the rest of you have felt that, but people tend to approach their female colleagues or women colleagues to share or vent because they believe that they'll get more sympathy and empathy and concern and compassion than they would if they went to one of their male. They probably would, Lindsay. That's not in dispute. <laughs> and and so so I think that it's a it's a delicate balance. And and we've you know we've had some conversation. We have a, a um, women's CRG that meets, and and they've had some conversations around how do we you know we want to make sure that we're we're supporting all of our colleagues, because we recognize it's a big ask when culturally outside of the firm, it's not normal or socially acceptable for men to be sharing their emotions and vulnerabilities and everything else. So how do we help create a psychologically safe space for them to do that, but to make sure that it's not all coming at our women colleagues to be responsible to carry everyone else's weight, right? So to, to all of your points, saying that we all have our own struggles, we're all trying to figure out how to make it through and leaders, even more so, right? Because they feel that responsibility and accountability for the success of their entire team on top of their own crazy chaos that's happening that day, um, you know, and trying to look put together and like, I might not know the answer, but we're doing it together. Um, you know, that kind of that kind of way to show up. It's really hard to do that when you also are now carrying everyone else's feelings and stresses and struggles. Um, and so just it's just a delicate balance to be able to say, hey, 
like pause for just a second. It sounds like you need to speak with somebody who can really help work you through that. And I'm not really qualified to do that. So I'm here as a supporter and I want to encourage you and I want to be here for you. But I also don't want you to believe that I can get you through what's going on. We have resources for that. And like empowering our people to say that is so, so important because I feel like they have these conversations and they, you know, it just feels like everyone's dumping all their stuff, all their stuff. And you have to be the fixer. That's another thing that's gender specific. Um, typically is that, you know, women tend to be fixers more than men do. And so that need to be like, I will, I will get this fixed for you. I will give you a solution. I will help you come up with a solution. It takes so much energy that emotionally, by the end of the day, you can't even work on yourself because you're just drained from working with everyone else. So, you know, I, I think that shows up a lot for us and especially post pandemic, um, you know, our kids had, had challenges, our parents had challenges and, and we were sucking all those in on top of our own. And then our colleagues had challenges. So then it was just, it was just coming from all, all places. So it's, it's a heavy load to bear and there's no pay difference. Right. So, so being the, the one that gets to deal with all of that or help our colleagues get through it, it's not like we're compensated for all that extra energy. That's just part of the, the unspoken job so sure Th thank you all of you for those thoughts on mental health as we we are in troubling times challenging times for sure one of the features of these panels this is the ninth one we've done has been that some of the ladies have talked about having to defeminize their approach to leadership to fit into a male world but then what comes out from that is a, a flip back to that where men are starting to feminize their approach to be more empathetic to be more vulnerable in recognizing that best practice 10, 20 years ago in leading a firm, in being a tough authoritative voice and not collaborative and collegiate is not the way to go. So there's a, almost a feminization of leadership now and you know, we've all got our old styles. But let's aim to some closing remarks and not necessarily righting some wrongs, but an opportunity to give some practical advice to the people listening. And uh, Sharon, I'll start with you on this one, if I may. Any leadership or career tips for people watching and listening, particularly to women, but might apply to all genders and all the different genders in between the LGBTQ and everything else? There are so many minority groups out there, but leaders come in all shapes and sizes. What would you say to encourage them? I think you have to set your goals and push yourself. I think if I look back on some of my career regrets, I would be very typical on not applying for a job unless I've ticked every box that they're asking for. Um, and I've done that many times. And then, you know, six months later, a year later, I'll look at that role and think, why on earth didn't I do that? I could have done that. And it's about having that confidence to push yourself forward and to believe that you can do something and you can go into a role and grow. You don't have to tick every box before you get there. And I still see lots and lots of women um, making that mistake, um, not applying for things. And it's great if there's someone looking out for them that will bring them up saying, are you thinking about this role? You should put yourself forward. Um, an advocate or champion, perhaps. Yeah, you really do need an advocate or champion to support you. And um I think the sooner you learn that lesson, the better, um, because I think your career will go much further. There are still too many people out there not confident enough to move forward. And then I think, secondly, I still don't think I've achieved everything I want to achieve. So I think you've got to look forward and think about where next, what do you want to do next, what, what's left on the list. And I think someone said very much earlier on um, about filling your bucket list. 
And I, I still think that's important. You've got to have that aspiration as well. I've heard stories about women that have been filled with regret in having not gone for roles that they should have done, only to find that a man has applied for the role that is so less qualified than them and so much more inept at doing the job, but they got the role because there was no other better choice. And that's so sad, isn't it, Sharon? that happens and it happens all the time and you know i think women have just got to be more confident in putting themselves forward and taking that chance lindsay we'll go on to you on this one um, career tips for our listeners and watchers on this show yeah i mean i think sharon nailed it in terms of an advocate um, or a sponsor i think i think asking for that right find the person in your organization that you that inspires you and that has influence and flat out ask them these are things that are important to me this is how i want to show up I need your support in doing that. How do I gain your trust? And that could be a man or a woman, Lindsay. It can be it? anyone. It can be anyone in your organization that you think is is somebody that inspires you and somebody that has influence within the organization and being upfront and honest about, you know, why why it's important to you to connect with them and, and what you want from them and what they need from you in order to do that for you. It just, it, I feel like if I would have done that sooner, I didn't do that until so much later. Um, and, and only because no one ever told me. I, I never had somebody sit me down and say, hey, if you do this, this, and this, it's going to accelerate your growth. And you might take a wrong pathway, right? Like, I mean, I was in public accounting and practicing in tax and assurance. And I didn't realize that I didn't really like being an actual accountant until like 15 years in. <laughs> and, and now I love my role and I love the accounting profession. And so I get both. And, and nobody told me, you know, that you could do both, right? Everybody was like, nope, you're an accountant. You do accounting stuff. I think, I think Gemma's in the same boat, right? Like you love the puzzle part of it and helping solve things and creating things for clients, but the numbers themselves are really not that exciting. But we have some people who numbers are amazing and that's great. Like we want them. Um, so I wish somebody would have told me, find yourself an advocate, find yourself a sponsor and be really upfront and honest about what you want from your career and see if they'll help you get there. Um, and then I think the second thing, just tip wise, um, is you could just, you just need to be honest with yourself. So I think most of us don't fit in a mold. Um, and unfortunately, the accounting profession has a history of creating molds and then telling you which path to take to get to that mold so that you fit right in. And, um, you know, we talk about it all the time. Oh, they fit in the team so well, like they fit in this role so well. And, and that is a really awful thing to think and say, um, because the reality is molds don't work, right? When we all think the same and we show up the same and we act the same, then we never innovate. We're just doing the same thing over and over again. Um, and so I, I think really being willing to say, who am I? What's important to me? And how do I want to show up? Um, and the mold doesn't matter. There's a path for me. It doesn't have to be the path that everyone's showing me. Um, I think those are two things I wish I would have learned a whole lot earlier than I did. Gemma, you guys have been breaking the mold for some time. What career tips would you give to the people listening to the show? And touching on what Lindsay said is, is just you have to be yourself. I think some of the biggest mistakes I've made in my own career is when I was trying to trying to be somebody else um and I, I just wasn't being authentic and it, and it was it's for anybody else looking at me it was it's obvious that I'm trying to be something that I'm not trying to that I'm that I'm not I think again I, I would make mistakes I think it's really important to make those mistakes but ultimately then what do you how do you learn from them going forward? Building your network, I think, is really important, not just internally as well within the business. I think I would encourage anybody to go in, go wider, go, go into other under, other industries and speak to other people. Again, we're talking about diversity and inclusion. Just, don't just put it within to the accounting and kind of fintech area. Go further um, and 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 be open to to challenge as well. I think you know, or to, I think as people, we don't want to we hide away hide hide away or certainly find a kind of path of least resistance 
I run towards the wall is what I'd say and smash through it it's it sometimes that's always th those are the biggest learnings I've always found is actually don't find an, an kind of a, an alternative route to just go smack down the middle and burst into it and be different I think it, it I would really encourage that be 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 who you are um, and not what everybody else wants you to be I think it's really important that that authenticity it sounds great and authenticity is a wonderful trait. I just wonder, we're not in a profession where mistakes are easily tolerated. Accounting as a profession is very black and white. It's very binary. You've got to be right on it. You've got to be technically super strong. And this comes back then to the culture you set as leaders, that it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to lean into the team when you're not coping so well and admit your vulnerability. So there's a balance there, Emma, between being authentic and and being right and doing a good strong job isn't it a hundred percent absolutely but it's about learning from those mistakes if you repeat the mistake then that 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 is your mistake it's how do you learn from that is um is what's important only an idiot makes the same mistake twice as my mother used exactly. to tell me <laughs> <laughs> that's very good megan what are your closing thoughts on, on tips for our viewers and listeners here know your strengths and know your blind spots it's okay to have blind spots we all have them so find your compliments and know what your strengths are and use those as superpowers if they're different than other people's that's great you know bring that to the table i think sometimes we get scared to bring things to the table that are different but that's that's a huge strength I also would say stay curious, keep learning, keep listening to new things, keep reading new things, keep finding new perspectives. It's okay to change your mind when you hear something different. So keep learning. That's fantastic. Career tips for everybody out there. And you're the kind of analyst, all of you that are living and breathing this all the time. I don't imagine every, any of you are sitting still and not learning and not seeking to build out your network and building your personal brand and raising your profile and, and being hungry for more information so that you can be better today than you were yesterday. Thank you all so much for sharing your insights, for being candid, for sharing a little bit of vulnerability. Uh, I've really enjoyed your responses to some tricky questions and People look to you. I've heard a lot of women telling me that as I was coming through my career, I didn't see many people like me. I didn't see anyone I could look at and say they are further down the road than I've been. So they almost had to make their own way and blaze a trail. And being a pioneer is great, but most pioneers end up face down in the dirt with arrows in their back. We know that. So it's a lonely trail. So the, the fact that you're in cultures that embrace diversity and inclusion, and you are strong, authoritative women leaders, compassionate as well that is really making a difference thanks again for your time and your insights today that's been wonderful improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly sponsored by dext